I want to talk today about how to walk in love. We've been on this series about loving well. And so today I want to talk to you about how do you walk in it? How do you walk in this thing called love? And if you've been with us, we've been in the uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That entire chapter is a chapter on love. Again, I'll say I think it is the most beautiful chapter written in, in the New Testament. And in that, it's prefaced by the end of chapter 12 and the 31st verse when Paul writes to this church at Corinth and he says, I show you a still more excellent way. He said, I've still got something and it's more excellent than I have talked about thus far. And that's when he started to talk about love. And then chapter 13 tells us what love is, and it tells us what love isn't. And for any of you who were mistaken in what this series was going to be about, it has not been one of those uh, Cupid kind of love sermons, has it? It it hasn't been one of those kind of messages of that loosey-goosey, fluffy kind of love. I think what God has been doing is He's been pruning us back. Do Do you believe that? He's been causing us to look at ourselves and the things that we've done and evaluate that in terms of love and ask ourselves, is that love? Because if I look at 1 Corinthians 13, maybe that's not love. Maybe I've got to change how I'm behaving, how I'm acting, what I'm saying, that I might align with Scripture. And so I want to continue that today. And I want you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. So we're going to leave 1 Corinthians. We've been there, but I want you to to leave there and go with me over to Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to read the first and the second verse. And I want you to see how in Ephesians, Paul starts out with something that's abstract. It's a little bit hard to define and to put your head around and to put words to it. He starts out with the abstract, but then he moves into the concrete. That's where walking this thing out comes in. And so here is what it says, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God. Imitators of God. What does that mean? Imitators of God. What does that mean? Imitators of God. I was on a conversation this past week with Hazel, and she was praying over someone, and she said, I want you to pray with me. And she said, I've told this person that you just need to pray about it. You ever told anybody that? You just need to pray about it. I said, Hazel, you better get some teeth behind that. She said, what do you mean? I said, that thing needs some teeth. I said, that's a good church saying, just pray about it. I said, but to the person who doesn't know God, to the person who hasn't encountered the love of Christ, that might not have any teeth. You've got to put some teeth behind it. You've got to let them know the God that they're praying to. You've got to tell them who He is. You've got to explain His nature. You've got to tell Him what He'll do. You've got to put some teeth behind that. Be imitators of God. You've got to put some teeth behind that thing. So he says, you've got to be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love. Now, how am I going to be able to walk in love if I don't know how to imitate this God who is love? How am I ever going to be able to walk in that? It's like me taking you to a junkyard for the first time in your life and you've never seen vehicles before. 
And I show you all the ones that are crushed and they don't have tires and they're rusted out. They don't have windows and none of them crank. And I say, this is a vehicle. You say, that ain't much to look at. I don't even know what it does. What do these things do? It's just big hunking piles of metal. I think when we look at the world, that's what the world looks like. It looks like a car crash. It looks like a big old heap of metal. Because what we're looking at many times is what the world looks like after the world crashed in sin. And it became destroyed. It became twisted and turned and corrupted by sin. And so a lot of times what we've looked at and we've called love and we all went along with it, that ain't love. That's something that got crashed and shipwrecked. But that ain't love. We've got to go back before the crash. We've got to go back before sin and figure out what this thing looked like if I'm ever going to walk in it. So if I can get abstract with you for a moment, two weeks ago I preached a message and the message was one from 1 John and it said that God is... Yeah, just in case, because there's some folks who wasn't here. So 1 John says God is... Yeah, you guys say that just a little bit louder. For God is... Love. Yeah, see, it originated with Him. It's more than just a characteristic. It is the very essence of who God is. Now, we've tried to explain God, and we use this word called the Trinity. Have you ever heard of that? The Trinity. It is that God is one, but that God is in three parts. Father... Son and Holy Spirit. So it is one God and three persons. The Trinity. I told some folks at prayer this morning, I said, I have never preached a message on the Trinity. Never have. Probably not going to. Because it is a concept that boggles my mind. I have tried to explain that thing to myself, and it boggles my mind. As children's leaders, teachers, you've probably tried to explain that to some kids before, right? How God is one, expressed in three persons, and use cups, and use water as liquid, and steam, and ice, and we try all these things. Years, years in the past, the church adopted something from the Celts. It was something that they had used before, it was called the Celtic Knot. Any of you ever seen or heard of the Celtic Knot? We're going to put a picture up of this thing. That's it, essentially. Now, they, they stole that from the pagans. And then they took it and they turned it in a way that they might teach those same pagans who didn't know God that God was one God in three persons. If you will look at that, that thing can be drawn with three lines. Look at it carefully. As complicated as it is, it can be drawn with just three. It only requires three lines to draw the whole thing. See it? One, two, and three. And the church said that in each of those parts, those points, was one of the Godheads. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they said that in the center, that's God. That's where they, they come together. And I would say... I believe that in the, the midst of all of that is love. 
Because remember, God is? Yeah. And so that's how they, they explained it. There's a, a pastor, a theologian, his name is Tim Keller. I don't know if any of you have read him or not. Uh, but he explains this thing called the Trinity in terms of a dance. Now, you know, I grew up in the, the culture where Christians didn't dance. So I didn't know nothing about that. But there's this word that the early church, y- y'all know when y'all see me down here, they're like, poor boy can't dance, but he will move. <laughs> He'll move, but he can't dance. And so the early church used this word called perichresis. It's not found in Scripture. It was a word that they used to try to describe this, this Trinity relationship. By the way, Trinity's not in Scripture. Did you know that? Trinity's not in the Bible. Oh, I got another one for you. Bible ain't in the Bible. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So somebody says, well, perichresis is not in Scripture. You say, well, the Trinity is not in Scripture either. In Word. But it's all over every page. It's... Bible is not in the Bible. They didn't know when they were writing it, they were writing the Bible. They were translating, they were hearing from God and sending it to man. And it became our collection that we call this thing called the Bible. But enough of that, let's get back to the Trinity. And so Tim Keller says it's a dance. Other people, Baxter Kruger, another person from a whole different uh, theological bent is, is talking about this dance. And here's what they're talking about is that each person is actually loving on the other and trying to bring them glory, not themselves. It is not a self-seeking type of relationship that is trying to find out how it can get its own needs met. It is meeting the needs of the other person, the other part of the Godhead. Now, if you want to know where to go for that, you go over to John chapter 17. It's called the high priestly prayer. And a lot of times we struggle to read this thing because of the language that it has inside of it. But I just want to pick and choose a few of my verses if I can do that. We're not going to read the whole prayer. I want you to look at John chapter 17 verse 1. Latter part of that verse it says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. You see that? Father, glorify me. Why? So that I can glorify you. Look at verse 4. I have glorified you on the earth. What was Jesus doing? Glorifying the Father. Verse 5. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Do you see this thing? It, It started before the world was. That God was loving the Son. And the Son was loving the Father. And the Holy Spirit was loving the Son. And then in verse 10 it says, And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And so a lot of times in this prayer you will hear God, Jesus say, Father, you have given to me, and I'm giving back to you, and I'm giving to them so they can give to me, so I can give back to you. And you're like, what in the world? That is confusing. And that's why the early church said it's like a dance. It's like a dance in that no one is trying to control anything or any part of the Godhead. It's not like the Father says, yep, give it all to me. He says, no, I want to give it to the Son. Father says, I want to glorify the Son. I want to send Him to the earth that He might be glorified. But then Jesus says, oh no, but I'm going to give the glory back to the Father. 
And then Jesus says, and now I'm going to glorify the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to pour Him out on all the earth. Wow, that's important. Now, Holy Spirit, what are you going to do? He says, I'm going to glorify the Son. Do you see this thing? It's this beautiful thing of love. It's like a, a dance where no one's trying to control anything. They're deferring to each other. And it's It's beautiful. And so let's go back to our verse in Ephesians. Therefore, be imitators of God. This love that defers, that yields, that brings glory to the other person that is not self-seeking. It says, as beloved children and walk in love. Now still, if I've got a picture of what love looks like when it is giving, when it is yielding, when it is trying to make the other great, maybe I still don't know how to walk in it. And I would say you can't walk in it until you've been brought into that relationship. You see, most people believe that when they get saved, somehow they're trying to get God into them. Are you listening? You see, when most people get saved, they believe they're trying to get an outside God into them somehow. Can I tell you that I believe what is more accurate is that Jesus Christ is trying to bring you into a perfect relationship. When I look at what Jesus did, and, and look at what it says, it, the rest of uh, verse 2, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. You see, when Jesus came, what He came to do was to grab you out of a world that was crashed and bring you into a relationship of love that was perfect. He's been drawing us into that relationship. That's why so many people struggle to love. Because they've never been brought into true love. That's why so many people are trying to find love, like that song says, in all the wrong places. Because they thought that it was somewhere outside of them, and if they could just bring that into them, everything would be fine. But what Jesus said is, you don't even know love until I get you and I bring you into this relationship that is a dance. And so even in that relationship, some amazing things happen. God says to the Son, I have given all authority to you. Jesus goes and gets you and brings you into that relationship. And then what did He say? Oh, by the way, all the authority that was given to me, I give it to you. Who's you? Who's you? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Yeah, God said, Son, I'm going to give you all power and authority. Jesus said, that's awesome. Hey, y'all, come into this relationship. Now, guess what? Now all that authority I'm giving to you. What do you think you're supposed to do with it? Go and give it away too. But most of us are so love sick that we have never tasted of true love. And so we're scrounging and clawing and trying to get everything called love that we can. And we're grabbing up junk cars that don't have gas and can't run. 
So Jesus comes and He brings us into this relationship and He calls us, verse 1, beloved children. You want to know how you get into this relationship? There, there have been times that people would pray and pray. Years ago, they would pray and pray and beg and ask God to come in. And then the church started to read Scripture and found out that when Jesus came and He died and He gave His life, that's what love does, right? It gives. And when He gave His life, it says that by His death, we were reconciled to God. And through His life, we are saved. By his death, he reconciled you. Do you know what that meant? He said, child, it's time to come home. Prodigal, it's time to quit acting like an orphan. Orphan heart, you've been out trying to think you got to do this thing all by yourself. Come home to where there is perfect love. Where every need is met. Brantley and I started dreaming about that as we were driving the other day, I said, I need you to dream with me for a moment about this perfect, perfect relationship in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that now we are a part of. Can you do that with me? Can you dream a little bit? Have you gotten so old and jaded that you can't dream and hope anymore? I hope not. I hope not. I hope like a little kid, you can, you can dream about what this thing might look like what it might actually feel like inside of you. And so we, we started dreaming. And when we're brought into this perfect relationship of love, there's no fear. There's no fear there. Fear is outside of that. Because what does First John tell us too? He says, perfect love casts out fear. Can I say that again? There is no fear in love. Because perfect love casts out fear. You see where fear is, a heart has been turned into an orphan that can't quite see the love of God. Because if you could see the love of God, you would know that there is nothing that God wouldn't do in order to provide for you. In Romans, what does he say? For God who did not spare His only Son, how much more will He not give you all things? In that relationship, there's no fear. And because of that, there's no pretending. You see, when you know you're perfectly loved, you don't have to pretend anymore. That's what I love about family and I love about close friendship. Somebody says, what does it mean to be a best friend? Well, it means that they know everything about you. And they still love you. If you can find that in a mate, if you can find that in a friend here on earth, surely you can find it in God. Because that's where it originated. That's where it came. That He knows everything about you. If you're pretending, Stop. Just, just stop because you're perfectly loved. You don't have to act like you're somebody. You are somebody. You're the beloved children of God. That's who you are. Now, I don't know what job you have, and I don't know what kind of education you have, and I don't know where your mama and your daddy came from or what side of the tracks you grew up on. But this I do know. If you will receive the love of God, you are a child of God. That's who you are. You can, you can stop pretending. That song we sang last week. 
He knows your name. He knows your name. He, he doesn't when you're praying and you ask and you call on His name. He goes, hey, um, um. <laughs> oh, whoever you are. Listen, it's going to be fine. No. No, He says, Ann, I know your name. Tay, I know your name. Noble, I know your name. And when you hear your name called, doesn't it do something to you when somebody that you don't think knows you, they call you by your name and they go, I'm known. <laughs> it does that to you, doesn't it? I'm, I'm known. And I want you to know that God calls your name. And he says, child, you're known. I know you. I know who you really are instead of that person you're pretending to be. <laughs> I, I know the real you. I know the real you. Yeah, I got to move on. I could preach a message on that all by myself. Got me. I preach myself happy. There's no need to be guarded in, in that relationship. You don't have to be guarded. You don't even have to be guarded from people of the world. Some of you are so guarded still. I, I, I'm not judging. It's just that I've been that person before, so I know it when I see it. I know guarded when I see it. And you see, guarded comes from a place of hurt. Guarded says, I'm going to keep you at a distance because you might hurt me just like the other people that have hurt me in life. So i got to keep you. i got to keep you at a place that's safe. But you see, love tears down the guards. You see, when, when I'm hurt, I live out of that hurt and I live out of that guarded position. But when I come into the reality, when I see it, Oh, Jesus said, those who have ears, let them hear. I say, those who have eyes, let them see. That you would see that he says, if you will let me love you, you can let down the guard. Because you will know that there is no person on earth, no power nor principality, who can separate you from my love. And so you come from this place now that you let all your guards down. And now you can actually have real relationship with people. Dang! That's what we were going for anyway, wasn't we? You let down your guard. Why? Not so you live life all by yourself. Why? So you can get in relationship. You see, He tears down the guard to get us in relationship. There's no lack. 1 Corinthians 13, it says, Love is not jealous. Where is the place for jealousy when you know that in love God will meet every need that you have? What happens when you know that scripture and you believe it to be true that God will meet all of your needs according to His riches which are in Christ Jesus? Then you don't have to be jealous about anybody else's stuff. Because then you'll know that if you're supposed to have some stuff, you know where it's going to come from. Where's your stuff going to come from? Yeah. If your stuff doesn't come from God, you don't want it anyway. Because it comes with way too much baggage. Way too much hurt. There's no need to, to be demanding. You ever been around a demanding person? None of you are demanding. You just know people that are. 
You want to know where demanding comes from? Demanding comes from this place where I don't think I'm in relationship. I don't see that I am loved. And I don't think my needs are going to get met. And so if you have something that I think I need or I can use or that will benefit me, then I'll do whatever it takes to get it from you. Now you know why we don't like demanding people. Because demanding people aren't in relationship. They're outside of it. And there's, there's no power struggle. There's no power struggle. I started thinking about the, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All-powerful God. All power. Say all power. All power. And no struggle. But then I look here on the earth and there's so little power. But all kind of struggling for it. Do you see that? Will you be able to see it in your life? And will you be able to see it when you walk out of here? That you go, oh my goodness. So little power and so much struggle. And then you look back to this relationship with God and you go, "Woo! infinite power. No struggle. No struggle. Why? Because they're using their power to lift up the other. Father says, all power I give to you, Jesus. Jesus says, well, all power that you've given to me, I'm going to give it to them. Who's them? Raise your hand. Then he says, I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit that you might have power. Mm. There's honor. There's so little honor to go around in the world today, isn't it? It seems like there's so little honor because we're afraid that if we honor somebody, they'll get ahead of us. You know, or that, that they'll start to think they, they, they'll get a big head, right? Don't honor them because they'll get a big head, right? So it's, of course, our responsibility to keep everyone humble, <laughs> right? So for heaven's sake, don't honor somebody because they'll get a big head, you know? Yeah, so there, but what happens in this trinity is full of honor. He honors us. Do you see that? It's the most humbling thing I've ever seen. That God says, I, I want to honor you. I want to give to you. I, I'm dying for you. I want to I love you. I want to build you up. I want the, the best. I want to exalt you. If you'll humble yourself, what does he say? I'll exalt you in due time. God wants to honor us. It's an amazing thing. You've got two choices with that. He wants to honor you. You've got two choices. Maybe more. You can receive it. And realize where it came from, and it will keep you incredibly grounded. Because when somebody says something to you, you'll go, oh yeah, I know where that comes from. But you'll be able to say thank you. When they say, you know what? Man, you did great. You'll be like, thank you. That means a lot that you would, you would say that. Or you can do the other thing, which is you can have false humility. And so you, you sing or you preach or you do whatever. and Somebody comes up and says, man, you preach so good. You taught so well. You sang so well. And you go, oh, no, it wasn't me. It was all Jesus. We ought to look at that person when we've done that and go, it wasn't that good. <laughs> right? It wasn't that good. It was good because it was God working through you. But you know, we, oh, it wasn't me, it was Jesus. And you're like, no, it wasn't that good. Your singing ain't that good. Your preaching ain't that good, Kevin. Your work outside here is not that good if you try to separate it from God. 
But if you do, it keeps you humble. And then there's, there's perfect peace and there's trust and there's, there's fullness of joy. Where is it in His presence? It's fullness of joy. We try to find joy in all these things and we don't know why because it's up there in this relationship with Jesus Christ that you have to be brought into. And so then once you begin to see it and you begin to look at what it looks like and you realize, wait a minute, all of my needs are going to be met in Him. I'm perfectly loved. He cares for me. Then he looks at you and he says, now go walk in that. Verse 2, and walk in love. Just as I love by giving my life away. And he carries it over to, to verse 21. And this is where I'll begin to get myself in trouble. So I'll go ahead and prepare. Because I just think I've got a different take on this. And, and, and I think I see what I see in Scripture. So I'm going to tell you what I see, and then you go home and you study it and see if you see it too. Is that good? And if you say, you know what, I think he's full of it, then you can just say, I don't agree with him. You can eat whatever was fished that day and throw away the bone if you think this is the bone, okay? All right. Let me say what it looks like to walk in love. It's found in verse 21. It's the key to everything after it. It says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Did you hear that? Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. What does that mean? It means to, to defer to the other person. When? Always. What? Yeah, always. Yield. Yield? What do you mean yield? You know, like when you're trying to get on the interstate. Yield so you don't get run over. Give way. Wait a minute. To people? I was cool, Kevin, when you were talking about God. Right, we were cool when, when I was talking about God. You were like, oh, I love that whole love thing and no fear thing and all that. Wait a minute, you saying I got to do this to people? Do you understand the dog-eat-dog -dog world that I'm going into and you want to tell me that I'm supposed to be subject to that kind of mess? Look, I didn't write it, I'm just reading it. But I do believe it's true. That when he said be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, he actually meant it. Because that's what he's been doing. He's been yielding to you. Did you know that? Of course you do. Because there was stuff he tried to talk you out of, but you wouldn't let him. <laughs> he tried to tell you not to do it. But you're like, nope, nope. I see better than you do, God. Listen, I got this. I know you're worried about me, but I can handle it. Don't you worry. I got this. You don't think God yields to you? He actually yields to you far more than we've been taught. Most of the trouble you've been in is not because God sent it. It's because he said, okay, if that's what you want, that's what you get. And then we come back and we're like, God, I can't believe you let that happen. <laughs> He's been yielding to you the whole time. Because that's what freedom does. It yields. If, if He forces you, then there's no love. Nobody in the Trinity is forced to do anything. They do it on their own accord. You want to know why I'm right here at Ember Church preaching? Because I want to be here. Because I want to be here. Because, because I see what God is doing on the earth and I'm like, man, God, You've been so good to me. Can I help? Like, is there, is there anything I can do? And a lot of times I'm like, I'm probably the worst preacher of all preachers. 
But you know what I feel like though? I am available. <laughs> I am available. So every Sunday you might not get the best, but I'm going to try to make myself available. I wonder what the world would look like if we quit trying to be perfect and just made ourselves available. Huh? What would the church look like if it was full of people who weren't concerned about being perfect because they say, I don't have to be perfect, I'm perfectly loved. <laughs> I can make mistakes. I don't make them because I want to. I'm not trying to mess up. I'm trying to get it right. I'm trying to preach good. I'm trying. But more than that, I just need to be available. And so we're, he, we're yielding. But we got this dog-eat-dog world. And you're telling me, Kevin, I'm supposed to subject myself, to submit myself. And I would say, yes. There are a lot of times people look at relationships and they want to know who's in charge. Right? Yeah. You know, in... In, in family, you know, we've been taught that the man's in charge, right? And man, sometimes we're like, I'm the head of the house. I see it in Scripture. And then you ask that man something, he says, I don't know. i got to go check with my wife. <laughs> Give me a minute. I want to laugh at that myself. <laughs> it's so fake. It's so contrived. It's so not of God. You want to know who the head is in anything? Before you answer that, ask Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who's in charge. The Father says, well, I put the Son in charge. Son says, well, I gave the Holy Spirit to be in charge. Holy Spirit says, well, well I, I poured out my Spirit on them. Then you look at any real believer who knows Scripture and you ask them who's in charge and they say, God. God. Do you see that? You want to know who's in charge? you got to start looking at it from that perspective, not from this American world that we live in that sees authority, but not leadership. You want to know what Jesus did? When they were hungry, He fed them. That's what happens in the world. When something goes wrong, we cry out and say, God, do something. And He says, I did. I gave you all power and authority. I'm waiting on you. And when you decide to do something, I'll join with you. I'll take that, that bread and that fish and I'll multiply it. What did Jesus do? He fed them when they were hungry. He healed them when they were sick. I think there's not a lot of power for healing in this world in which we live in right now because we're more interested in praying for somebody to try to confirm the power of God than to pray for somebody because we love them and we care what happened to them. You're going to have to go away and think about that one. But even our demonstrations of power are messed up. Because we don't do it in love. It's not driven by love. Everything that Jesus did, He did in love. That's why He healed the sick. That's why He forgave their sins. Why? Because He knew you can't live this way. You can't live this way. And so we, we do what He did. We, it says that He sanctified the church. Verse 26 and 27, then we're going to quit. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word that he might present to him to the church in all her glory. What is God doing? He is presenting you in all of your glory. You need to get comfortable with that. That God is wanting to make you glorious, wanting to make you spotless, wanting to make you perfect. He's washing us with his word. What about your word? 
Husbands and wives, can I meddle for just a minute? When you married that man, you thought, oh, this is my Prince Charming. You thought he's going to complete me. He's my prince. And then you get in there and you find out he don't know much about being a prince. And, and so then you're like, he ain't treating me like a prince. So then what do you do? You start treating him like a dog. You wanted a prince, but now you're talking like he's a dog. And you're treating him like he's a dog. And you look at it and you go, where is my Prince Charming? Well, maybe if you had spoken to him like a prince and treated him like a prince, you could have taken a dog and turned him into a prince, a frog and turned him into a, into a prince. Men, let me ask you, you know, when you married her, you thought, ooh, this woman is everything I want. Everything I want. She's everything I could imagine. She's my prince. She's going to fulfill all my needs. Yeah, some of you men are going, hmm, just have a kid. And so then what do you do? You start treating her like a dog. You start talking to her like a dog. And you go, I wonder where my princess went. And I would say, maybe if you treated her like a princess, and you talk to her like a princess, that you might have had a princess at the end of the day. You see, that's what Jesus does when He talks to us. He doesn't dig up all your sin because He's not trying to turn you into your sin. He forgives you so that He can tell you who you really are. He can speak to you the way that you really are so that He can raise you up into who He really wants you to be. And so there are times where we go into things and we're about ourselves. <laughs> You're going to go into the business place this week and I want to prepare you with this. There's an author named Simon Sinek who writes a book and he says, leaders eat last. Leaders eat last. What does that mean? It comes from the the Marines where when the officers line up to eat, no matter where they are, the junior officers line up first, the senior officers line up last, and nobody told them to do that. They do it on their own accord because they've been taught by the military who actually does a better job than the business world of teaching us what it means to be a leader. It means you're the first one to die. You're the first one to skip a meal. And out of that, they create this culture of people who, if that last man doesn't get food, those guys will go find him food and bring it back. It's like David's noble men who go break through the enemy defenses to bring him a drink of water. Why? Because David fought first. We need to go into the business world and we need to be the first ones to lay our lives on the line. But you see, we're more interested in authority than we are in leadership. And so when something happens, we're more than willing to cut people off. Oh, I'm preaching a little harder now. Y'all like deer with the headlights. You know? He shows a picture of a woman in a, um, in a supermarket where somebody has started opening fire into that supermarket. And there's a mama and there's a child. You guess what the picture looks like. You know what the picture looks like, don't you? If any of you are mamas, you know what the picture looks like. The mama is on top of the child. Why? 
Because that is what God says leadership looks like. When the bullets are flying, the leaders don't go running out the door. They jump on their kids. Because that's what leaders do. That's what Jesus did. He said, I didn't come that I might exalt myself. I came that I might die. So that they might have life. That's what leadership looks like. When you go into the world tomorrow, you say, but Kevin, I don't have a title at my place. You don't need a title. You don't need a title. You can go back into your family. You can go back into the business world. You can go into the school system. And you can go into the world. And you don't need a title. You just need to love this way. Give your life for other people. And you will change things. You will change the environment that you're in. But you see, you'll never do that until you see it. Until you see that. Until you walk into work tomorrow believing that you are perfectly loved. That you are in this relationship with God. And God has you. I don't know how many times I hear people pray. And I say, well, what did God tell you? And they say something like this. God said, so and so, I got this. See, he'll even speak in your language, won't he? I got this. I got this. That's what leadership looks like. When everything is going wrong. You want to know who the leaders are? Look for the ones who run for the door. And look for the ones who run to help those who are in need. What are you going to do in your family? You going to make it all about you? Or are you going to walk in love? What are you going to do in your business place? you going to complain about everything? you going to walk in love and trust the power of God to change things. Because back to 1 Corinthians 13. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I just believe that if we see it, we can live it. So I want to do this one last thing. Praise team, will you come? I'm going to dismiss you, and if you need to go, you can. But man, I want to sing that song again, because I'm like, they have no idea. They have, when we were singing it the first time, I'm like, they're getting all excited. There's even more reason to be excited now. Do you see that Jesus brought you into a relationship with the Father? Poured out the Holy Spirit on you. That you might live in relationship with Him. There may be somebody you say, nope, I ain't been in that. I, I, I did not get that. I went down to the altar, but that wasn't what I got. That I want you to come down. And you know what it is to become a child of God? To receive the adoption as children of God. That's all it is. You just have to say, I want it. You're like, I don't know if I can get it if He'll give it to you. He died on the cross so that you could have it. All you got to do is say, yes, Jesus, I want it. And you're in.